there was a discussion last evening amongst the speakers to make sure we stayed on time, and I see my talk is already finished. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to stay brief, show you a few interesting things in my field, and try not to tread on the topics being presented later by our guest speaker. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the ocular oncology services that are provided at UBC. There has been um, an awful lot going on that people don't necessarily know about. So we do treat melanoma, but we also see almost every other mass lesion in the fundus, some of which turn out not to be masses, but that includes the list you see on the left there. So melanocytomas, combined hamartomas, hemangiomas, uh, vasoproliferative tumors, all the iris mass lesions and simulating lesions and ciliary body lesions as well, metastatic disease, osteomas, uh, surface ocular disease, so uh, ocular surface squamous neoplasia and what used to be called uh, carcinoma uh, in situ, and also um, what is currently being called CMIN, what we used to call uh, primary acquired melanosis. Uh, malt lymphomas, intraocular lymphoma, or lymphoma associated with CNS lymphoma, and then ocular complications of systemic malignancy and its treatment. Um, the other thing that I did leave off here, I guess, are the sort of smaller lesions that have not yet become a uveal melanoma but are at risk for doing so. And in order to look after those, we have a variety of technologies, both for investigation and for treatment. We've been fortunate to have one of the newer OCT varieties in the last uh, couple of years that's shown us all sorts of new findings, but hasn't necessarily changed our management a lot. Um, we have a brachytherapy program that's been going since 1971. Proton therapy's running, been running now for 18 years. Um, external beam radiation for uh, metastatic lesions. Uh, there is stereotactic radiation at the cancer agency, although that's mostly used in brain lesions. Um, there are a few other sites they use it for, but proton therapy serves the same function for us. Um, PDT therapy, uh, interestingly, got its start in life as a treatment for tumors. Uh, and has come and gone in the field of macular degeneration and continues to have a place in tumors and some place in macular degeneration. Its biggest fault uh, with respect to trying to treat a tumor was that you could get the um, dye into the tumor relatively easily, but you couldn't treat the dark side of the moon. So if it was a macular area tumor, you could get absorption. If it was off to the side, you were always fighting against the part you couldn't see. And there's also the added problem of uh, pigment will actually d uh, take up dye and energy and disperse, and so you could get um, reactions um, that you weren't expecting and that weren't particularly good for the tumor or the eye, but it still does have a place in some cases. Um, thermotherapy gets talked about in the literature a fair amount, um, and then people are not always very specific about how they're using it. Um, in general, we've used it as an adjuvant rather than a primary treatment. There have been papers written, written about treating relatively small uh, often near macular lesions with thermal therapy, but the resulting uh, epiretinal membranes and other changes have not provided the kind of macular sparing um, effect that was initially hoped and have sometimes obscured whether or not there's actually development going on in the tumor underneath. And then lastly, we have uh, eye wall resections and uh, iridocyclectomies. The services we provide are done by the ophthalmology group, but in conjunction with uh, the BC Cancer Agency. 
And although a number of the things we do are located in the eye care center, the cancer agency uh, participation has been several fold. Uh, they're absolutely essential for radiation. No radiation gets done in the province without them. And if you're looking at literature, we have the sort of good fortune slash problem in Canada that the provincial cancer agencies sort of have a, a hold on the technology. So there's usually very good systemic uh, review or systematic review of how things are used, who's eligible, and monitoring of ongoing outcomes. So it's not sort of a one-off program or a one-person program. Um, the uh, protocols are standardized, including the ones that apply to chemotherapy materials. Most of the funding is through the uh, Provincial Health Services Authority, but this puts some limitations on availability of drugs. Um, Avastin, again, was an oncology drug. Its approval for um, macular things has led to some difficulties for us getting it for oncology things. Um, medical oncology uh, are a good source of our referrals and apart from all the lesions I talked about as following the clinical trials that go along with some of the protocols uh, and then the sources of uh, undetermined change in vision complaints around the eye, complaints around the orbit are um, a fair uh, number probably about 25% of our referrals come from that um, they also provide diagnostic services for us. They have the PET CT scan and uh, then case conferencing around the cases we're co-managing with them, sometimes with neurology and neurosurgery. Um, the clinic itself started really as somebody's practice with, uh, I think, Dr. Gordon Harris having an interest in tumors and then Dr. Jack Rootman uh, joining him. And they first did brachytherapy in BC in 1971. So the program's been running since that time. Um, that is the source of the fact that we use an isotope different to many other areas. Um, it was an isotope that was well known and very standardized, single use only, so it's not a usable one. It doesn't suffer from any breakdown or any changes in the radiation pattern, but it is why it stands out as a one-off thing and has continued to be what we've used. We've looked at changing and have not found a good reason yet to do so. Um, additional techniques that I mentioned have been added as the technology became available and personnel has been added but really it's a multidisciplinary team process and I should add that there's a small but important group that's the pediatric ocular oncology group radiation oncology services for that group are still provided at the cancer agency but with a pediatric anesthetist and a pediatric uh, oncologist and then the pediatric systemic oncologist are the ones involved in the retinoblastoma management. So the tumor that you saw a minute ago, let me just go back there, um, presented this way uh, by the time I saw the patient, but the patient had been complaining of a scotoma for about a year and a half and um, finally had a very good dilated fundus exam when the brown nodule appeared uh, in front of the iris. That was the appearance of the tumor on the uh, left-hand side there. Is there a pointer? Um, and on the right-hand side, you can see where ultrasound biomicroscopy, another one of our investigative tools, shows the tumor has invaded actually through into the angle. Sorry. Don't know where that went to. Um, we would hope to get to see these patients early enough to do something less aggressive, but if you consider what goes on with aggression, the cat's sort of out of the bag for the patient. 
Um, we did treat him with proton in order to get all of the involved tissue treated, and he did well with the tumor shrinking um, for about six and a half years and then developed systemic metastatic disease. Um, just rough numbers in the last approximately 24 years or so, we've got about 425 brachytherapy cases. We started doing Proton in 1995, and there have been 173 cases I've treated personally, mostly choroid, a couple of conjunctival diffuse lesions, and then iris lesions. Um, uh, the system doesn't allow us to figure out quite how many enucleations. There are roughly 10 a year for that. Uh, and then the PDT cases have leaned mostly to the hemangiomas and metastases with a few recurrent nodules and melanomas being treated that way. Uh, this is an example of the planning sheets we see with uh, brachytherapy. Um, the upper yellow portion on the right-hand figure, which won't show up with the white pointer, my uh, apologies, is actually where the plaque is located. And they have given us isodose lines uh, into the eye from the plaque. There is a lens drawn on there, a cornea drawn on there, and estimates made of how much radiation is going out from around the plaque. The two uh, diagrams at the bottom are actually the retinal dose and the scleral dose. So brachytherapy gives you a fairly high scleral dose with drop-off as it goes forward and is ordered to dose the, the height of the tumor. On the left-hand side is our form of uh, brachytherapy. You see a ring there. At the lower pole, there's a notch. They can custom make these plaques for us. There are three lugs arranged to make it so they could be sewn more anteriorly because the tumor was right close to the optic nerve. Uh, and it's this um, custom-made, single-use uh, feature that is really beneficial for our patients. doesn't have a lot of shielding around it so we can get it into tight corners. Um, this is an example of a patient who had been treated. Um, he has a melanoma just below his optic nerve, and he did well with his original uh, treatment with brachytherapy. Um, I saw him as what was developing on the bottom started to become evident. So if you look in here, there appears to be just a little bit of an elevation, and in fact, it's more visible here. There's some vascularity near it, but not individual vessels in it. Um, and by the time at the top, it's clearly a nodule. It had been treated once with PDT. And you can see what happens with basically the wipeout of the vessels that had been supplying it. Um, this shrank down and stayed quiescent. The patient hasn't required further treatment. Um, this is an example of what happens when we're doing proton planning. The hope with proton is to try and minimize your radiation doses. You don't get that big 35,000 to 50,000 base dose, but you do get dose that goes across the retina in other directions. The uh, diagram at the top uh, shows the optic nerve. Sorry, this is moving on its own. The optic nerve area uh, in the circle and then below that is the area splayed out where the tumor dose has gone. So there's a tumor entry dose and then usually more of a margin around it. If you look at this particular patient on the upper right side, 
the lower eyelid has been modeled. When you, when you put the lid in front of it, it actually acts as an absorber and takes some of the dose down. So this is the kind of complex three-dimensional planning that goes on with the uh, cancer agency folks. The beam is uh, produced in a big physics facility and then delivered to a treatment chair that looks like this with the patient isolated with a face mask, bite block, and a fixation angle device and all of the beam coming through from the left side here through a collimator and through a range shifter in order to get the dose you need through a kind of cookie cutter device to aim the target. It's The biggest thing here is the amount of uncertainty about exactly where the patient is at any one moment. They can move their eye and you have to be certain that you're actually aiming correctly at the tumor. So that's the job of the ophthalmologist in conjunction with planning with radiation oncology. Um, this individual has uh, a Sturge-Weber syndrome, and actually what you see is an example of his treated tumor on the left-hand side. He had proton radiation because the tumor was extensive enough that trying to put a plaque on there wasn't going to work very well. He'd actually been managed for glaucoma, but nobody had paid attention to what was going on in his fundus, and by the time we saw him, he had about a 6.5 millimeter uh, mass at the back. The uh, mass has fibros down, and what you see is what was left. I wanted to move on to talking about the uh, tumor classification system that's come in in the last couple of years. This has probably been the biggest advance for the uh, ophthalmic oncology community. You see here um, stages, what they've divided as one, two, three, and four. This was done based on more than 7,000 patients internationally entered into a database to see exactly what their outcome was. So it was an attempt to try and get um, survival outcome, not just whether you could treat the patient or not, but actually how did they do from a prognostic point of view. Uh, the numbers look a little different than what you may be accustomed to with what's been in the small, medium, and large, or COMS before, but this is what the new standard is for... Um, publications and is allowing us to match things better. You can see how the um, sizes are spread out and actually a fairly large base size up to 15 to 18 millimeters can still be a low stage if it's not a very tall tumor and may justify watching some of these because they're really not going to shift classification before they're treated. Um, there's also consideration given to whether there's any extension into the ciliary body and any extension into uh, outside the eye. So the prognostic groups that come out of this system break down into more levels than was in the small, medium, and large and allow us to be a little bit more precise. I think it will still take another five years of using the system widespread internationally to know. Here's a comparison to the initial COMS group. So you can see it extended across their, their initial size for the medium extended across ones, some twos, and some threes. During the COMS trial, they actually increased the size for medium from 8 millimeters height to 10 because they could treat them and because they weren't accruing fast enough. There wasn't a really good biology reason behind it. So their final actually looked more like this and included more of those threes. So you can see that the COMS doesn't help us with prognostic factors the way this does. And then the large ones are this group of threes and fours and doesn't break them down as well as our current ability to do. Here's a patient that we saw who presented with this extraocular nodule of a deeper tumor. She was the granddaughter of somebody I'd already looked after who had a posterior melanoma. And this is not necessarily supposed to be a genetic disease. Uh, 
because it was already out of the bag, she was well and healthy, she refused a nucleation, we did brachytherapy with this unshielded plaque, which of course treats the conjunctiva as well. Um, she was treated in 1997, and I saw her about a month and a half ago, still alive and well, has had children since then, and has continued on in a productive life. So at 15 years out, we've done well with something that you might have thought would be a high risk for metastasis. Newer technologies. Um, the old technologist failed in her attempt to transfer some autofluorescence pictures, so I'm hoping somebody else will show you uh, a few autofluorescence pictures that you catch. But the main take-home point here was uh, we were fortunate to have a young woman who was well-versed in the physics behind this. We did a study of our patients trying to look and see whether we could find factors that were helpful to predict which small lesions or nevi were going to grow or which of our melanomas had a larger extent than we could see. The literature is pretty muddy, and in fact, we found that despite multiple different descriptors, you couldn't really categorize them in any way that was helpful. I'm not sure that that's the final word on fundus autofluorescence, but for right now, it really doesn't help you separate anything out. I think it's still an interesting technology to take the pictures with and would encourage people to order them if you're looking at a nevus. We just don't know quite what they're going to tell us. Um, OCT has also come on board since I started working, and the biggest change it has created, as far as I'm concerned, is people noticing smaller amounts of subretinal fluid, usually directly over the lesion. If you look at all the um, prognostic information that's out there at the moment, it's still based on old ultrasound data. So we don't have the five to ten year follow-up of how much OCT detected non-clinical fluid over top of a nevus puts it into a high-risk group, and I think this is something still to come. This patient showed up with this lesion having a remote history of breast cancer that was aggressive in nature, treated with chemotherapy and irradiation. She, also, she had a visual field defect, but she also had numbness in her cheek and palate and this fundus mass and that kind of modeling affecting the vision accounting for the acuity. And that sort of lesion is usually handled with external beam radiation through the cancer agency. What are our unsolved challenges currently remaining in ocular oncology? I think of um, all the things that happen, there are two that still get to us. Number one, I'm hoping we'll hear from Tara about. Um, radiation retinopathy is an expectable, predictable, innocent bystander effect on the blood vessels in the area of the tumor. It isn't just an eye problem, and in fact, um, CNS lymphoma used to be almost universally treated with radiation. It does the same thing to blood vessels in the brain. So you start to get sclerosis. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens over the long term. But if you watch, you start to shut down the small and intermediate size vessels. You may or may not get vasogenic edema around it. And you can only imagine what that starts to do to brain tissue function. This is exactly the same thing it does to retinal function. So we'll see nicely treated tumors that have blood vessels, particularly veins, but also eventually arteries, that shut off over top of them. It's not a linear progression. It doesn't look really like diabetic retinopathy, and sometimes it clears on its own. But it can also produce all the radiation 
um, complications that, or the vascular complications that go with it, hard exudate, stuff that gets into the macula, uh, cotton wool spots, areas of ischemia, uh, and areas that eventually lead to frank necrosis, and you start to see thinning out on the OCTs. This is what takes our patient's vision. So you may have successfully treated the tumor, not have any recurrence, but still be left with an eye that's not visually well-functioning. And the second uh, second real challenge, I think, that's out there remaining is what to do with metastatic melanoma. And that comes in two parts. You saw what the prognostic groups looked like. Um, there are two pieces that we'd really like to be able to know better about. What do we do to treat um, melanoma once it's metastatic. There is a variety of things out there. If you look on the clinical trials website, there are a lot of them right now, and none of them are, are a hole-in-one. Uh, chemotherapy to date hasn't worked well. Uh, trying to take liver sections out if it's only in the liver is probably the most helpful. What we would really like to do is prevent the high-risk people from ever getting there. And one of the ways of doing that is knowing what the gene expression profile is of the patients. This is an example of a PET CT scan on a patient who had an ocular melanoma who's got multiple lesions in the liver at this point. So currently there are trials on things like yttrium uh, that is radioactive loaded into the liver, which is being used in other liver tumors, particularly in Asia, radioablation, resection. In the long run, I think for both these diseases, single-agent type chemotherapy or biologicals are useful but not going to be the answer because, in fact, as we get to know more about the genetics of how the tumors behave, there are multiple pathways. If you block one pathway, then other will go, and it will behave like a lot of the other tumors do where you need multiple agents in order to be able to actually treat the disease. So I can foresee some form of mixed chemotherapy biologic agent or multiple sequential agents, and right now what we're trying to do is buy our patients some time till the next better thing comes along. Thank you. So, thank you very much, Dr. Payton. Uh, so the, our next speaker is our first uh, guest speaker of the day. It gives me